0: So our film Suburban Wildlife is a micro-budget coming-of-age film, and it was just shown at Sydney Film Festival. And we made it with a bunch of really keen, determined after students between our second and third year of afters doing the BA there. And yeah, it was just a story that we made for no money, with just sort of like this spirit of wanting to tell our own story, and we're just really happy that people seem to be enjoying it, which is nice.
1: Hey everyone, my name is Chris Butel and welcome to episode 13 of the Stories Through the Camera podcast. This podcast is dedicated to the art of filmmaking with a specific focus on independent and emerging Australian filmmakers. On this episode, we have the very talented writer and director Imogen McCluskey, who I sat down with to chat about her debut feature film, Suburban Wildlife, which I was lucky enough to catch at the Sydney Film Festival. Suburban Wildlife is a film about a close-knit group of university graduates who are at a crossroads in their lives, and throughout the film, they are forced to face themselves and wrestle with some harsh truths in order to find their way forward. Here is some audio from the trailer.
0: So, um, how long will you be gone forward? Uh, these last two years. But, who knows, it could be shit. <laughs> You are you, and I am me.
1: In this episode, Imogen and I chat about how she was able to shoot the film for just $4,000 during her summer break at film school. The importance of having a collaborative relationship with her cinematographer and how she was able to create believable lived-in performances with her actors if you'd like to watch the film you can go to suburbanwildlife.com to check out screening and festival dates and if you like this episode you can subscribe to this podcast on apple podcasts or your favorite podcasting app and while you're there why not leave a rating and review thanks for listening and hope you enjoy the episode So Imogen, thanks so much for doing the podcast and um, thanks for taking the time to sit down and chat.
0: No worries, happy to be here.
1: So could you tell me a little bit about your film, Suburban Wildlife, and also kind of what got you into filmmaking?
0: Um, so our film, Suburban Wildlife, is a micro-budget coming-of-age film and it, it was just shown at Sydney Film Festival and we made it with a bunch of really keen, determined after students between our second and third year of afters during the BA there. And, yeah, it was just a story that we made for no money with just sort of like this spirit of wanting to tell our own story and we're just really happy that people seem to be enjoying it, which is nice. Yeah, and I guess what got me into filmmaking, it's a bit of a longer story but um i moved to sydney from brisbane after doing a few different things at uni trying a few different degrees and sort of having my like quarter life crisis or whatever
1: i feel (laughs) like i have one of those every couple of years yeah totally yeah and if you
0: don't you're like wait what am i doing wrong yeah um yeah and then i got into afters and then when i came down here i was still a bit sass i was like oh do i want to do filmmaking i don't really know what that is because i hadn't really made any films before and then as soon as i found directing i was like ah this is it. Yeah, this yeah. is what I want to do. Yeah. It's
1: one of those things, it's like it's the culmination of like mm. the tech stuff and yes. like acting and...
0: Totally. Yeah. I know because it was kind of like you're managing people and you're managing all these creative things, but it's also really practical, which I really enjoy. And I, with Suburban as well, like I'm a producer on that. So it's like it's marrying the two sides of my brain together in a really beautiful way, I think, which is really like stimulating for me. But I think if you just do too much of one thing like like right now in post well it's like distribution i guess of suburban stage is just all producing and i'm just like starved for some like creative outlet i'm like get me back on set please yeah
1: but anyway i feel like that too sometimes like when i'm freelancing like mm. sometimes i enjoy the edit days where you just like yeah. you come in and you edit and you can go home at five or six or Totally. Whatever. and then there's the big like 12 hour shoot days oh and god. you kind of need both because yeah you feel like low-key depressed if you're just editing oh my god
0: 100 in like a little gray room and you're like where? what year is it
1: <laughs> who am i anymore? who am i oh, yes. yeah <laughs> Yeah. So you actually made this film whilst you were studying at After's. Yeah. In like the break or?
0: Yeah. So we have the Christmas sort of holidays at like eight weeks or something like that. And so B and I, my co writer and co producer, B, um, her real name's like Beatrice. Beatrice. But I always go ahead and say it and then I'm like, oh, I'm not a wanker. Like, I don't know. But then it's like actually how you meant to say her name. And she always tells me off. So I don't know. It's a big conflict with me. Anyway, B, um, she and I started writing it at the beginning of second year of Afters because I went into the BA and I was like, okay, I have three years. I want to leave here with something significant that will, you know, became this feature film. Um, And we were running it all through second year and doing pre-production leading up to a deadline of sort of shooting in February before the start of our final year. Um, yeah. And then magically (laughs) we just like got a team together to do it. Um, not magically, it was a lot of hard work. (laughs) Um, but yeah, we were just like so lucky to have so many people in our year who were like happy to come on board and obviously we didn't pay anyone and didn't pay ourselves. And yeah, it was a lot of like grit and hard work and sweat and literal blood. So
1: (laughs) filmmaking, my friend Mm. uh, Darby and I just have this thing where we look at each other and we just say, filmmaking whenever stuff oh is God. inevitably going Actually, terribly wrong yeah
0: i know like the world is like on fire and you're like mm, that's film <laughs> i love this <laughs> <laughs> yeah i live for this yeah. so <laughs> um
1: so you went to, that wasn't like something you dovetailed into your studies. Mm. It was like kind of separate too. Yes. Yeah, so well.
0: it wasn't like a project or an accessible thing. We were just sort of doing it outside of our study, um, which was kind of funny when it got to third year because then I was like, why am I even doing my assignments? Like I'm just, you know, need to work on my feature. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think it was like, yeah, I just kind of when I was going through film school, I was like, I don't know. And some people are really, really good at short films, but I was like, the story that I want to tell I don't know how I do it in a short film. And but I did in saying that, like I did make three or four short films before I made Suburban and those were super necessary to like get those kind of ideas out there. And there are a few scenes that are pretty much exactly the same in Suburban as they were in my sort of shorts. So it's super like that was super important and after it's really helpful in like helping me find a sort of voice that we that became the film. But yeah, we were just um, – yeah, just wanted to do it on top of our studies and also while we had access to all the equipment and the editing rooms and everything. Mm. Um, yeah, and they – and after sort of turned a blind eye, I think. <laughs> they're
1: like, you are using this for schoolwork. Yes, and we're
0: like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wink. But now they've, like, reclaimed us because yeah. we were second runner-up for Audience Award or whatever. And they're the like, way. oh, my God, you're back. Yeah. I'm like, Yeah. <laughs>
1: I went to this thing at Afters and Sue Milliken was talking about, um and the producer of Priscilla Sue Milliken did Ladies oh, yeah. in Black, but mm. this producer for Priscilla Queen of the Desert and they were both mm. sort of talking about like how much of a struggle it was to get those movies funded Oof, through the film, yeah. you know, like government film bodies, mm. and now it's like the posters are all over one hundred percent, all yeah. the show reels and, you're and like, stuff. For
0: God's sake, no, yeah. totally. And I think that was part of it as well. Was that I even wrote an essay when I was at afters about like how at that point in time, and now it's changed a lot, which is great. That funding was seemed so inaccessible for us because we hadn't had a short that had already been to you know Sundance or bloody Berlinale or whatever like, mm-hmm. and that was like the requirement to get Hot Shots funding at the time, and I was like, what the hell? Like how? Yeah,
1: you need know, that circuit breaker.
0: Yeah, yeah. how yeah. the hell are we meant to get through this? So that was kind of the attitude as well, and like now it's all like there's the online, like we were saying before, and like that's kind of opened up a little bit, so which is great, but. Yeah, that was, like, some, like, determination on, on um We were, like, we're not going to wait for someone to, like, give us money.
1: Yeah. Who was I? I think I, like, watched a video clip, like, a YouTube clip mm. just last night and there was something about Chris Rock. He was saying, like, yeah. his car had broken down and, right. like, he was trying to wave people down and no one would stop for him. I oh
0: forgot how rude. But-
1: then he, like, started to try and, like, wheel his car off and then everyone would, right. like, come and stop Well, to help. that
0: is an analogy. That no, is it's not exactly mine, what it... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Yeah, no, yeah. that's kind of what it feels like, that you're just grinding away yeah. until, you know, someone takes notice. But, yeah, I, th- I find, like, that's the hardest bit. Like, it's so hard. It's so mm. hard, whatever you're doing and, like, obviously you know, suburban, we made it for no money and it's just gone on for bloody forever (laughs) and you're grinding away for so long and then suddenly, well, not suddenly, like it is just like, all this effort leading to like finally getting into a film festival that someone mm. cares about. And that was sort of um, really Sydney validating. Film Festival. Yeah. yeah. It's really validating, but also you're like at the festival and I'm like, well, I have $30 in my bank account. So this is like nice, but yeah. like no one's paying me for anything yet. Yeah. Um, which is, it's, I don't mean to sound ungrateful, but it's just this like funny, like I'm still not earning money from this. Like I'm, yeah. I'm just before that point, hopefully. Because, you know, I just can't keep working for free because I think I'll die. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> I know. I relate.
1: But, um, yeah. you know, going back to like the whole short film and mm. online thing, what do you think about this? Like w- what was it you think that drove you to like make a feature? And what mm. do you think about the world of like content, whatever that that means? <laughs> you know what I mean? I, yeah. You often see jobs for like content creator yes. and that, you know... I mean, one of a thousand things. Yeah. And there was even like a couple of years ago, I was sort of like dipping my toe into some Mm. YouTube stuff just to Mm. see what it was like. And I remember someone posted a comment that said, great content. And I got like really offended. I'm like, (laughs) I went to film school, not content school. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) That's so
0: funny. You know, they were
1: just little camera reviews. But even then I was like, it's not content. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, I don't know. What was the first question about... um, I don't know. It was more of a stream of consciousness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To make it Yeah, a feature feature in particular. Yeah, I think we were really... Well, okay, there's a few things. I think we've learned a lot from making this feature, but at the time we were like, okay, what is like the boldest thing we can do? And that's to make a feature. And we wanted mm-hmm. to make a long-form story and tell the story of these four friends and they all have unique experiences, blah, blah, blah. and it was just too much for a short. And we didn't really know about web series really, apart from like, you know, Broad City is like sketch comedy and that yeah, the, sort of the thing. The form really makes a difference, doesn't yeah. it? Because you're
1: like, well... Yeah, sketch comedy is really quick and bite-sized and accessible. Totally. But, like, if it's more of a yeah. a longer-form character piece, like, mm. it, how well does it translate into a web series? Exactly. You know? And I
0: think that was where we were kind of at of, like, as a writer and as a director, I was like, I want to have an avenue for my style of storytelling or, like, develop my voice in a kind of way. And I think that um, is feature films like the canvas is big yeah, enough that you can kind of experiment yeah, with some stuff. yeah exactly exactly and also like i'm saying this as if we knew what we were doing but we had no idea what we were doing so it was kind of like we're like oh what can we do oh we'll do a fe- feature so um it just seemed like something yeah that we could do and like yeah like you said like a canvas that we could sort of do our thing on and also like i you know grew up loving Muriel's Wedding and looking for Ella Brandy and all those kind of of coming-of-age films from a female perspective. And I just felt like I hadn't seen anything in contemporary Australia that sort of spoke to that coming-of-age story of coming into womanhood or coming into new sexuality or whatever. And there were so many great ones overseas, but nothing really in an Australian setting that yeah, I personally related to and particularly that had like a queer coming-of-age story from a female perspective. So that was something from the very beginning that we wanted to tell and make into a film. Yeah, I think it just like gave us gave us space to play around mm. and it was like really challenging, obviously. And I just felt like, you know, with, with shorts, yeah, I don't know. I just couldn't. At that time, like figure out how to tell a really compelling short, mm. and then it takes so much money to send them to all these festivals, and then it's still just a short film. So, like, I don't know. It just seemed mm. that if we like were gonna do it, we should be bold and do just a feature. Go for it. Yeah,
1: and I feel like with the whole Trout Fest thing, there is there's mm. a kind of a formula for yeah, it what, has a twist and, at the end. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of yeah, it, it has a formula, which, it's, which does seem more of like a sketch or mm. whatever or, like, yeah. here, hire me for the next ad or something more than, like, an artistic expression. Yeah, you know, totally. it's a little contrived.
0: Because I think as well, like, a lot of shorts I was seeing, I had a particular um, idea of what, like, oh, no, I can't really be too frank, but, like, a kind of short that I saw that was successful, and this is only my opinion, but, like, that looked really good, had a really good camera, shot really well, was, like, adequate performances but was pretty boring like yeah. it wasn't actually that challenging or nothing too new and da, da, da. And from my point of view and obviously Luca our cinematographer did an incredible job with the limited equipment we had but I didn't really care about what we were shooting on and I obviously cared how it looked but that wasn't the most important thing for me I wanted to explore like the performances and like the script over a long period of time so that was it, I didn't see that as like a limitation whereas I think a lot of things um, that prevent people from taking that next step is like, oh, we don't have the money for – and that was like a conversation. The semi-lenses or the whatever. Yeah, and that was a conversation I was having with my friends at Afters and they were like, oh, we need to wait until this, this and this. And I was like, well, how do you know that is going to come? Like, Mm. I don't know, I'm very like headstrong and I was like, well, I'm just not going to wait around until someone gives me, you know, $20,000 for like – that's not even that much money, but yeah. you know like what I mean. Like development, you know, yeah, to write a exactly. Script or and then yeah. it's another year, and la la. So yeah, it was definitely just like impatience yep. <laughs> on our behalf.
1: <laughs> I totally understand. Yep, yeah, I totally for get it. Sure. And so when you're like writing the the script with your co-writer B, like, mm. were you, would you kind of like swap the scripts with each other, or mm. did, were there sort of themes, or were you like I relate to this character? How did you sort of break it down? Yeah,
0: we kind of. Um, so we just got together and we like had several days of just talking about like what we really loved about story and what we wanted to see in a story and what we didn't want to see. So we just had like a big whiteboard filled with those kind of things of like, Oh, we could do this character and they have this journey and how about this scene and la la la. So it was kind of this um, huge discussion of, yeah, what we wanted to see in a film. And then we turned that into four main characters, each with their own arc and their own challenges. And then from there, um, after we plotted it out, because I'm quite a structured, um, even though it might not seem it, like our current film is like very like character over plot, but that's that was the intention. But this was, yeah, I think I work of um, like plotting everything out, doing all the beats, yeah. and it's quite structured, and then going into the script. And I know some people do it the other way around, but that is terrifying to me. I don't know how you yeah, do that.
1: Too. Yeah, I think like really early. On people like I don't need structure or screw yeah. those screenwriting yeah. books like they suck and uh they're obviously like if you follow them exactly beat mm. by beat you will make a formulaic like movie yeah. but when, when you're you- like staring at a blank page totally. it totally helps to yeah, yeah it's just
0: something to hang off and like I think inevitably even if people think they are breaking the rules they're inevitably following the rules because mm. we are so exposed to stories all of the time that you know it's like ingrained in you like when you're telling a a joke to a friend yeah Yeah. it's like still following you have a punchline you have a setup like we know what that is so and I think it is just so important to know how everything works and then you can break the rules if you want to but yeah it's just like that respect to story structure um yeah so and then and then it was interesting because we'd never co-written something before obviously it was both our first feature so something of this length, we were like, oh, how do we do this? And it kind of was just divvying up the scenes and I would write some and she would write some and blah, blah, blah. But I really love dialogue so I had, you know, I think I am also a really bad sleeper. <laughs> so I think the first very first scene was like one night I couldn't get to sleep and I like wrote the whole scene in my like diary. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, dear diary, and then like the whole <laughs> first scene. So, yeah, we weren't very um, militant about it. We were more just like, when you can do it around your study and da, da, da. But then we, we knew we were working towards this deadline. so
1: It always hits you at like the worst times oh, when you've yeah. got like a job or mm, something on you are like, that's a great idea. Or yes. you're in the shower and there's not a pen available. No, totally.
0: And you're like, no, my genius. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> like why can't it just be what I like sit down to write? Actually, of-
0: that's the hardest thing. Mm. And I think that's definitely because I, I have a few different projects in development right now and it's like getting that discipline of like sitting down every day and like just sitting there for hours and forcing yourself to write as opposed to just, you know, fluffing around and doing it bit by bit. (laughs)
1: That's, yeah. Yeah. I (laughs)
0: I feel like everyone struggles with that. Yeah.
1: And so what, it's kind of an ensemble film. Mm. Like, was that a conscious decision? Like, why not have it driven by a protagonist? Like, it kind of shifts Mm. between various perspectives and various arcs. I
0: think there's a few things. Like, we wanted to explore several ideas or several sort of, because it is a very personal film and I think each of the characters are definitely like a different aspect of me and they're a different aspect of B, and we sort of turn them into these characters and we wanted to... Ex- yeah, explore different um, experiences of being young and different outlooks on life and different sort of trajectories. And so, like Kane, for example, he's the only male friend in this this uh, group of four friends, and he hasn't been to uni. And he is kind of looking at his female friends, and he's like, "Oh, they're all you know doing their own thing. Like, I need to get my own thing." And that's his tattoo dream, mm-hmm. which is also just because I'm really obsessed with like stick and poke tattoos, and I've got yeah. like three of them. Um, And then, you know, Alice, her parents have always been away and she has been to uni, but... Um, doesn't really have the drive and direction that like Louise has. Who's going to London and Nina's wrestling with her sexuality, et cetera. So I think there was just like a lot we wanted to explore and putting that all onto one character would just be a bit too much. Yeah. And also honestly, like I think it just like made it a bit more interesting. <laughs> like yeah. just when it was our first film with no money, like just being able to swap between characters and have them all speak differently and have different humour and da-da-da just kind of made it a bit easier and was Mm. something a bit more to work with and Um, one
1: person doesn't have to carry the entire film yes as well exactly exactly
0: and i think as well like i was really interested in exploring long-term friendships because i moved from brisbane i'm from brisbane originally um to sydney and it was kind of when i would go back to brisbane like I'm still friends with all my friends from high school, but it's just not the same thing. And I think a lot of time has passed and we all have different experiences and I think it's different when you move away and when you come back, all that sort of stuff. And I just found it so interesting because you know these people so well and it's such a comfortable groove. But it's like then the friends that you make as an adult are so different or not, they don't have to be heaps different, but you know what I mean? Like they're your kind of chosen family sort of thing.
1: The films, for me at least, are very Mm. much about like the transitional period. Yes. Like the film opens with that, you know, with the girls in the car coming from a graduation and Mm. the kind of like hallmarks or like the main beats you'd see in a, say, an American coming of age film would be like the graduation or like Mm. the prom or whatever. And to have it be the film start in a car being like, oh, well, what do I do with this hat or whatever? Totally. It's kind of...
0: Yeah. Because I dropped out of like four degrees and I was like, what the fuck am I meant to be doing? Like Mm. I you know, had, I did really well at school, but like, I, I just don't know what to do. I don't know where to put it. And like, I think I avoided the arts because, um, like one girl literally said when I, I was just like at a party or whatever. And I was like, Oh, I'm thinking of like studying theater. And she said to me, she was like, Oh, that would be a waste. And I was like, Oh my God. So I had that kind of and yeah, you know, that's yeah, so yeah. savage. It's I was so like, how dare you, Georgia? Yeah. Anyway, so. <laughs> calling her out. you have been Georgia. Yeah, you'd be yeah. Um, But you know what I mean? So it's like this complete directionless and directionlessness. Yeah. And driving, like driving every day to work or just around. And it was this whole monotonous thing. And I think a lot of the film, like you were saying, like the first scene is the car after graduation. And that was a real memory for me of like, Exactly that of like these signposts of adulthood that you see in films all the time, and it's this kind of language of a coming of age film has these big markers in it. But I was interested in the space between those moments and those, like, what are meant to be these like postcard moments of a coming of age film. But what I what were most resonant for me living through those experiences were those moments between where it's like, you're just with your friends in the car. It's really hot. You are just like talking shit, listening to the radio, la, la, la. And you're just sort of appreciating these last moments together Mm. because I find like when you go through life, speaking with the wisdom of a 25 year old, um, you like, when you come across this significant moment, it's loaded with so much meaning and expectation and then you get there and then you're like, Oh, I'm like exactly the same idiot I was yeah. like two seconds ago, yeah. but now I have this thing or I've you know got a dumb hat on my head and a, a yeah. graduation gown and then it's over. And then you're like, oh, okay, well... <laughs> Sick, (laughs) like, so it's kind of that. Um, yeah, life goes on, and you're still the same person, you're still the same person, exactly. So, yeah, it's kind of speaking to those moments in between those big markers, and kind of with the friends as well. Like, they know each other so well that it's more about, I felt like, with the script and with the film itself, it wasn't about like performing friendship that you see on screen a lot of the time, of like, hi, friend, like, we're such good friends, that it's more about like they know each other so well that they're just going to be quiet with each other or mm. silent or sort of intuit things, which is what uh, my experience of friendship is that you mm. can sort of tell that something's happened or whatever. And you're not constantly explaining it for an audience. Yeah.
1: I love it in movies where it's like, Damien, we've known each other for yes, eight years yeah. ever since we were in high school. And yeah. You're like, I, actually it's yeah. exactly that. And mm. we
0: were like, we don't want to do that because yeah. that's just so obviously performing for an audience. So mm yeah
1: it's such a fine line because you want to make sure the audience is with you the whole time yes. but then you also want to you know you want them to be curious and kind of leaning into totally. like what's happening that, that you still want them to be curious
0: totally yeah. totally and I think that was such a big experience in the edit as well of just being like oh shit we should have probably made that a bit clearer or like oh that you know like mm. and finding that fine line between revealing information and withholding information mm. um yeah it was a big lesson
1: I went to the Sydney Film Festival screening, or one of them, mm. and um, like in it, you talked about giving the film a sense of place a lot. Mm. Why, like, why was that important to you? Because like within the film, there's like kind of these these breaths that mm. you know we focus on nature and particularly on like people's skin and touch. Mm. It's like quite sensual. Was that something that you? were just curious in and therefore pointing the camera out or was that mm. something you're inspired by from someone else's work? Like,
0: Yeah. I think that was like a real building block for the film from my point of view and definitely approaching it as a director um, because it is, it's called Suburban Wildlife and it is just about, I think the, the place that they're in, their mentality that they're in individually is so married to that place because it is this sort of liminal transitional space between childhood and adulthood and it's the kind of thing of like, because again, like I grew up in Brisbane and in the suburbia and it's like, as soon as you leave, you look back on it with such like fondness. And when you revisit, you're like, oh, it's actually really beautiful. But when you're there, it's like, you know, a yeah. marker of your like prison, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but I, remember, I do. I
1: remember going back to my parents' house after yeah. like living in Marrickville for a couple yeah. of years. Yeah. In Marrickville, there's like planes going over every two seconds. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't even I live need to set. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to set an alarm clock. It's yeah. just like. A plane will wake me and up like, at oh, six a.m. forty five yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah, and I remember going back to my parents' house and being like, "It's so quiet. So this quiet. is amazing. I love the suburbs." Actually, I like, know the suburbs are like the lamest thing when you're yes, eighteen. Yes, totally.
0: Yeah, but yeah. I think it was like really looking on, looking for the beauty in it, and a sort of like nostalgia that's inherent to that. And I wanted the colors of it to be this sort of like really warm. Gold, uh you know, gold and yellows and greens and sort of sunsets and stuff like that that I remember about Brisbane. Like, and I'm definitely super nostalgic in some ways. Until I actually go back to Brisbane and I'm like, this place sucks. But yeah. like, as soon as you know, I'm in Sydney, I'm like, oh my god, what a what a, what a beautiful place. Yeah,
1: yeah, um,
0: yeah. So that was a big thing, and I took the whole cast and crew to go see American Honey before we started filming because I love Andrea Arnold so much, and that was a big visual touch point as well, and. She always shoots, like, handheld.
1: She's, like, an American indie director, right? She's English, yeah.
0: So, she's English, but she um, works in America now Mm. more. She made, like, Fish Tank, Wuthering Heights, a few other films, and Mm. then American Honey. And now she, she, like, directed a few episodes of Transparent and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And she has a really great short film called um, Wasp, and it's on YouTube if anyone's interested. It's very good. Um, But, yeah, that kind of – she really inspired me in terms of the style that we wanted and – Um, I think it was just like a happy coincidence that shooting handheld actually really helped us to be really quick and not spend that much time setting up and all that sort of stuff. So it was kind of a blessing of both things, but yeah, it was, it was to get the sort of feeling of, um, yeah, transition and nostalgia and all that sort of stuff. And with this sort of close ups of hands and skin and all that sort of stuff, like that was very much a part of Nina's character because she's like literally like coming into her own skin and mm. into her own body and into her own sexuality. So that was about like really trying to communicate that to the audience through the visuals and all the close-ups. And cause she has like a few parties that they go to. And at the first one, she wears like Alice's her friend's clothes. And then the second one, she gets her sister to dress her up. So she's trying on all these costumes, trying mm. to find who she, so she is. is yeah. yeah. So that was also a big part of that, of sort of putting us in her skin. Um, and then there's, you know, this whole like um, montage thing where she's like cooked on <laughs> caps and she's like feeling her skin and yeah. that's kind of when she, I guess, like becomes more comfortable in it. and Yeah. So, yeah, I think it was, um, yeah, visually I was really looking to catch those moments of beauty in the suburbs and, you know, kids riding bikes and dogs running along a, mm. you know, park and all that sort of stuff.
1: And yeah, it's it's interesting. Like I remember being at film school and... Or at least a few people like, you know, will shoot it somewhere and we'll make it look like America or we'll we'll make it look like LA or, Mm. you know, and, you know, a lot of the time people will do like Aussies doing kind of convincing American accents or whatever, but it's like, but it's like, well, that's their thing. There's a million American films like like, actually appreciate where you're from and what you like, you know. Yeah. And And I I think, yeah,
0: it was like a really unashamed love of place and, Mm. and Australia and like the you know and i think taking it overseas to cinequest earlier this year we did we realized we we're like oh my god this is so australian like this mm. film is so australian uh, or a particular kind of australia um so yeah i think we were just kind of yeah just accidentally on purpose did that yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah
1: and so talk to me a bit about like the pre-production process so you've yeah. got this script and you're like i think we've got it <laughs> uh, uh, you know and you've because so, you shot it over a summer, right? So that would have been mm. in your year two, year three. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah. So, like, where where do you go next? Are you like casting or are yeah. you, who are you approaching to get the training? Yeah. So, rolling? again,
0: like, we had no idea what we were doing <laughs> at all. So, um, I think it, yeah, we just kind of, so it was B and I, I had the script and I had shot a few things with Luca, my cinematographer. So, he was obviously on board. We attached a producer, Sophie. Um, and with her, like Linus, who's the associate producer, B was also part of that producing team at that point in time. And then it was just a matter of assembling people and people were pretty keen and willing to do it because it was like, what else am I going to be going to be doing in February? And Mm. hopefully I did a good job as a director of getting excited, people excited to come on board. Um, yeah. And then we moved into casting and so we put a big call out on star now which I know people get different results from Star Now, but we um, had a big call out. We auditioned like you know 110 people I think over a week, and that was really intense. And I think I learned a lot about directing during that week, weirdly, because I was like working with what kind of stuff. I think it was just like how you, because you're every 20 minutes or every half an hour, you're getting a new person in the room, and you need to
1: keep up the enthusiasm and the focus oh my
0: god yeah it's exhausting and like but in the best way because i was like okay great like what is this person offering what am i looking for and you just i don't know it's it's interesting but and then it's like what what am i doing that works like what is getting a better performance out of Mm. them and what is not working and and you know when some people work walk in you're like straight away like oh we're not going to use this person but i feel like you know they've come all this way la 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 so I want to give it a go and make it a worthwhile experience for them. So that was also a challenge and sort of, yeah, finding ways to tweak performances and, yeah. And sometimes you say one thing and then it's like a completely new thing. But then, yeah, and it was quite hard to find um, the actors. Um, But we're so lucky with the actors that we got. I think they're so amazing. But it was like Alex King, for example, playing Kane, so hard to cast that role and it was getting to the end of the week and I was like, oh, my God, like we have no one to play Kane because he has this kind of – I think it's easy for that character to have a kind of like mopey, mm. self-pitying like side to himself It was if it was played a certain way, but we obviously didn't want that and I think Alex is just such a delicate performer that he mm. was able to have that sort of sadness but also – He's still like open to his friends. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And this real tenderness in a male character as well that I was really looking for. And that was the thing of as soon as he walked in, I was like, great. You're like, please be good. Yes, totally. But I was like way not chill enough. I was like, yeah, great. Like you did amazing. Like, thanks, dude. But apparently he was like, like when we've talked about it afterwards he's like I didn't think I had the role and I was like I felt like I was so obvious
1: <laughs> You've got the role. You've got the role,
0: kid. We're going to make you a star.
1: How did you like cuz they all do feel like really mm. close and like good friends like how did you sort of foster those that relationship so that mm. when the camera started rolling it just sort of worked totally. cuz a lot of the film is that like that space in between and that they, they're not necessarily stating exactly mm how they feel about each other but you you just get a sense of it Mm.
0: um thank you (laughs) that's very nice um yeah well that was like the big crux of the film was like making these friendships convincing like i said before like that you can always tell when it's like a fake actor friendship on screen and part of the authenticity and the sort of I knew that like if we couldn't make that convincing and authentic, the whole film would fall down because we don't have enough flashy other stuff going on to make it like, you know, like that, the relationships between those four characters were the film, was, Mm -hmm. is the film. So we needed to make that work. And I think it was just um, having these four really talented actors and then also, so none of them knew each other before we started filming, but I, we did at the callback, um we got i got them all to like hug each other for like 5 minutes and things like that where i would like send them on dates like a few of them i sent them off together to just like hang out like um Maddie McWilliam and Hannah Lehman who play Nina and Louise they went off on a date and then i sent the other two on a date cuz they were just sort of the natural pairings in mm-hmm. the film um things like that but we didn't have a heap of time but we had a few rehearsals um and we had a read through a couple of times and i just wanted to take everyone out for like a drink to kind of get to know each other even like supporting actors mm. and the main actors um but honestly i think it was just like the furnace mm. of the filmmaking in this like 40 degree weather like yeah out on the streets in the car This such an intense shoot schedule really like brought everyone together so by the end of the film that was really effortless mm. but um the very first thing that we filmed, we ended up not using because it was just the most awkward thing. Not their performances, but our work on the camera side of things because yeah. we just had no fucking idea what we were doing, mm. um, which was really interesting. Like, we just, it was just such a boot camp for everyone, like mm. actors and us. And I think that the actors like plotting their arc and because it was out of sequence, like, how do you do that? And how do I keep track of that? And yeah. So I had this like book with the script in it. And if I lost that, I would have been absolutely fucked.
1: <laughs> with, like, uh, with the continuity and the con- context yeah. of where we're at emotionally um, with each we thing. We
0: didn't really understand what continuity was. <laughs> yeah. Now we do. You're like,
1: I've read it in a book, but I don't. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I
0: know the word. I'm familiar, but yeah. But we- when
1: you're like in the edit, you're like, oh, that's yes, why.
0: it's fucking Kane's tattoo thing. So Kane has this tattoo that mm. gets like more and more infected throughout the film and it was a bane of my goddamn life because like we would start filming and then poor Alex was like oh wait i meant to have a bandage and we were like you fucking kidding me. So then we had to like bloody the bandage and then no one took any photos. So it was, you know, that was a big lesson for us being yeah. like, okay. Well, we I need. didn't notice at
1: all. Uh, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. But
0: yeah, there were definitely, definitely whole takes that we did where we were like, oh, well, we can't use any of that because he doesn't have his goddamn bandage yeah, on. Right. So things like that, that we learned the hard way that we really should have known, but whatever. Yeah. But um, when you're juggling
1: like a thousand oh, other things, yeah. it's hard to...
0: Totally, yeah. yeah. And like Alex um, Culliver, who was our production and costume designer, did such a good job, such a good job. But it is just like four lead characters and then all these extras. So it was really easy to, you know, miss stuff like that. And obviously we made it work in the end. But mm. yeah, that was a big lesson.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting with like that, you know, keeping the relationships feel genuine, like... Mm. I I don't know how you feel, but I I think for me, sometimes, like when you ask, like a big kind of like, just go with me on this, you like part of you is like, is this wanky? Like, am I being Mm. an artsy fartsy idiot (laughs) right now? Or is it, you know, but then you think about. Like, I know with Call Me By Your Name, the director mm. just got Arnie Hammer and Timothy Charlemagne to like just yeah. make out for like half oh. an hour. And then
0: <laughs> I rewatched that for like the sixth time the other night with yeah. some friends, and we both were like, Oh my god, yeah, <laughs> I love that film so much, yeah.
1: And like Derek C in France with um, Blue Valentine, he would just mm. get Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams to like live with each other yeah. for like a month, you know, that, and
0: that's a it's dream. hard
1: to justify, but because mm. you're like, This isn't even on camera, yeah. but. Totally. It is that kind of, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's the same thing because that originally was my plan to like get the four actors together, but obviously we have no money. We we didn't really have an ability to do that, so the best I could do was just send them on dates and stuff. But um, that's the dream and definitely like the next feature I'm making, I want to just send them all to the house for like a week before we start filming sort of thing. But – I think it's the same with like space. Like if you come in, it's so hard because you come into a new location, you just set up really quickly, you're throwing the actor into this environment where it's like, it's meant to be their childhood room, Mm. you know, like they're meant to know it like the back of their hand, but you're just, they've never seen it before. So I think that was a big thing as well of like letting the actor sort of walk around the space a little bit. And you know, know where all the jugs are, and mm-hmm. sort of have their process coexisting with your process, and sort of not rushing it, and yeah, and sort of. I think I just gained a lot of confidence as a director through this whole thing because I think on the first day of filming, I was very much just like, "Oh, do you mind? Like, oh, uh, sorry, da da." And by the end, I was just more confident, do of this. being like, "Yes, <laughs> yeah, I was a it's real be this. <laughs> bitch, yeah, no, but just more like." Obviously, we're all here to make a film. Yeah. They know I'm the director. I'm not inconveniencing them by mm. asking for something, mm. which was like something that I weirdly struggle I did with. Get I get over think, it. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think also being like a oh, lady and you want to like apologise all the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sort of finding that finding that line.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, David Fincher, like one of the reasons he does so many takes is mm. that he wants it to feel lived in. And, mm. you know, so it's like, he will get them to open the door 20 times, but it's like... yeah. You know, it's because it's one of those things that the audience doesn't fully know why it feels a bit off, but until it feels lived in. Yeah. Oh my God, that
0: poor crew being like, fuck, there's like 20 takes of this shit.
1: (laughs) They're like, I don't mind. I'm getting paid overtime. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) I guess you can get away with it if you're David Fincher. Yeah.
1: Your cinematographer, Luca, Mm. you're like, you're shooting on the FS5 with the Samyang lenses. Yes. Yeah. And probably a pretty small setup, like tiny. Could you talk a little bit about, like, Mm. yeah, like how you still made it look? pretty and you know and yeah service the story even with a smaller kind of kit
0: mm. yeah so we shot on a sony fs5 and it was just a little shoulder rig um with the sam yang lenses that we all got from afters and yeah i think it was we used a lot of natural light we had like very very minimal um lighting equipment for the uh, the evening setups or the night shoots.
1: Were they like LED panels? Sort yeah, of we
0: thing? had LED panels and a few, you know, little things and a bunch of gels and stuff, but yep. really nothing, like very, very bare bones. But again, I think that worked in our favour because it meant we could be really, really quick and kind of with limitations like that, you have to just be, just work within them and accept them. And, you know, and I think it was kind of, it allowed us, with being handheld, there was a lot of flexibility in what we could do and where we could get. And because it is such a small camera, I could just shove Luca into the corner of a car or, you know. Get in there. Actually <laughs> legit, yeah. yeah. And like, or, you know, just put him on top of a... Yeah. <laughs> he sounds like a tripod or something. But he's a very skilled, independent yeah, art- boy. Artist, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, it, yeah, it gave us a lot of flexibility, which was really cool. Mm. Yeah, he's just so talented. And I think he learnt so much as well. Like, obviously, we all did. and And now we're so much better, I think, that... Kind of looking back at it, there's obviously things that I squirm at and he squirms at. But I think like considering how little equipment we actually had, I Mm. think we had like two, you know, probably only like five lights total, Mm. like not even like maybe like four. So considering that we were just going to a location, figuring out what we can do there. But ideally, yeah, we were using natural light a lot of the time, uh, which obviously has its own challenges. But I think that's kind of cool working with limitations like that. Like with Call Me By Your Name, they had just one lens, right? They just had a 35mm... Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it was like a Cook something... S4 something, probably. Yeah. Yes, 35mm um, lens. And that's all they use the whole time. Mm. And I was like, that's actually kind of sick because it mm. like gives you more time. And I think time is such a obviously such a precious resource. Mm. And I think... <laughs> I'm the kind of filmmaker I would always prioritise having more time to get the performance and to get the coverage than to do fancy mm. lens stuff.
1: I remember talking, this is a total name drop and mm. I don't know him at all. Oh my God, all. who is it? But uh, I briefly had like 10 minutes to talk to Garth Davis oh, who did fun. Lion and yes, um, Mary Magdalene. Is my
0: future husband, Deb Patel, yes. Deb Patel,
1: <laughs> he's great. Yeah. You know, and I think he was talking about he went to like more of like an art, fine arts mm. college, and then he was doing cool. some films because his style, particularly in Lion and Mary Magdalene mm. that he works with his DP, um, it's very much like very natural light yes. and they don't really use gaffers all that much. It's more mm. like reflecting and and negative fill and stuff. Totally. And he kind of discovered that and was like, oh, so I don't need mm. three hours to, you know, fully light something. Totally. That, that was just the expectation because he didn't. Mm really know that you you could do that and once he started doing that it was completely yeah relatable know, liberating yeah, yeah.
0: totally yeah. yeah well i think it, it from us it came from a place of like this Necessity, is what we have, yeah, and, yeah. yeah and, and and not really if i had a gaffer i'd be like hello sir what do you do <laughs> you know and obviously yeah. now i know cause yeah, i'm a yeah. complete idiot but yeah. um yeah i think having less Especially for this film where a lot of it is quite like intimate and it's all about these sort of performances having less people on set. And obviously we couldn't pay anyone. So it is just out of necessity Mm -hmm. really. But it really suited this film. But then, you know, there are other projects or like music videos where you're like, oh, I really want this and like if i can get a goddamn crane once in my goddamn life i will be so fucking happy but and like recently i've yeah. um did a short where i just wanted to experiment with like a one take but still that was like a gimbal and like an operator and and a focus pull and all that sort of stuff so there was more and more people but still it was like you have to set up all the lighting before you mm. go in Point and stuff. do it yeah. so yeah. yeah i think it depends on the project but i i would yeah, I think it was good that we were limited by, because, like, and not to speak on behalf of Sam, but Sam, who directed Sequin in the Blue Room, they made that opposite choice. And obviously, that's a very good film as well, but it has a completely different feel to it, which was obviously his intention of getting a very fancy camera, but it meant that they were very restricted in their in setups ways, yeah. and in their time. Mm-hmm. So it's just that it's just that trade-off what you won't prioritize yeah, yeah totally
1: yeah but i think it's good that you're mature enough to know that like that is a decision you can make instead mm. of be like it has to be an re it has to be an s4 oh i've never it, been like yeah, that
0: yeah, yeah i was always just like oh, i don't even know what cameras are anyway so like let's just shoot something yeah um and like super inspired by like you know mark and jd plus who mm. are like i've watched their like keynote speech so many fucking times of like the yeah one. the mark i think it's mark Yeah, yeah, yeah. The
1: Cavalry's not coming. Yes,
0: exactly. I've
1: literally watched that like maybe three times. Yeah, Like every every quarter. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah. every financial (laughs) quarter, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, I look at my life goals and I'm like, it looks like it's Mark Duplass Sundance time.
0: 100%. And also Jill Soloway has a really good one as well Mm. from years ago before Transparent or just at the start of Mm. Transparent. But yeah, of just that sort of like no one's going to help you. You just need to do it yourself and tell your own stories in whatever way. You, you can, can. do, mm. but then in saying that, like I think, obviously, like it's a digital revolution, and like Mark and J. plus came of age or came to on that first wave. On know. yeah, on that first wave where it could kind of still look a bit shitty, and they made that short film about the dude like leaving a message to his his like, brother, yeah, 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 his answering message yeah, or whatever yeah. it was, and it looks it looks shit. Like mm. it, it's shot on a camcorder, but obviously it's like it was cool at the time and was telling a story in an interesting way. I don't think you can make a film that looks like that to get into Sundance mm. now. So it is kind of yeah. like, you know, like I would be very surprised if, you know what I mean? Mm. So it is like use the things that you have at hand, but I think there is just a different standard of it does have to look a certain level and da-da-da. And like Tangerine, for example, was shot on an iPhone, but it had all these little lenses and stuff on mm. it. But then it's like... I don't know. But then again, it's like Broad City on the internet. Their first season looks like shit, but it was really Mm. funny. So, I don't know. It's just like we have so many more tools now and they are so accessible, which is so great. And it doesn't mean that you have to fork out a bunch of money to make a film and shoot it on film and Mm. it's probably going to be shit and no one's going to see it. So, it is like so much more democratized now, Mm. which is sick and means that more people can have more stories, but... It's just how how you use those tools and stuff. Yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's
1: like, yeah, yeah, The the prosumer things are are more than good enough. Shoot four K, ten bit, mm. w- everything, and it's really your commodity is really your voice yeah. and your that's ability it. to do it. Yeah,
0: that's what. Yeah, I've really discovered. Mm. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, so, did you guys shoot this film in a block, or did you sort of do it on weekends?
0: We did in a block. Mm. So. And was that
1: like conscious before you started rolling?
0: Yeah, we were like. We learn a lot of things from scheduling this film, and we definitely did a it was pretty dumb what we did because we had like 24 locations over 14 days, and that was our entire shoot, which is crazy. Like, that's you know, two location changes a day pretty much. Mm. Um, which is yeah, that which is, is intense. Yeah, it was so intense. But I
1: guess if you're yeah, shoulder rigging it, it's like, okay. yes, yeah,
0: exactly, totally, but just sort of um. Like stamina wise, it was quite, mm. quite intense, um, especially in the weather because it was just so hot. We were in the cars and we were in the bush and la, la, la. So I think that was something that we learned uh, of like, you know, being a bit more, a bit smarter of how we organize a shooter, or how we write a script location wise, which is obviously, yeah. So scheduling was a big, um, yeah, big lesson for us, especially. Oh my God, that heat just like killed mm. me. Oh my God, it was like 50 degrees one day and I legitimately like passed out temporarily and then I was like, okay, <laughs> we're back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so. And
1: the camera held on. Yeah. That's good.
0: It was fine. It was very hot yeah. some days and we're like, oh God, after this is going to be so noisy us. Ca- these cards oh, up? Oh, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just like fried the memory card. Yeah, yeah yikes.
1: And, and with the locations, because there are quite a few locations, like mm. the supermarket, for example, they go in, mm. was that something that you had like, like, were you doing that on the day or had you talked no, to them like yeah. weeks before?
0: So, um, yeah, we scouted all the locations ahead of time and got all the clearances and stuff. So that that supermarket's in like Paddington, actually, weirdly. Oh, okay. and, but it's, it's, you know, story world yeah, meant yeah. to be in the South Coast or wherever the hell they are. Hmm. Um, well, Kangaroo Valley actually was where they went. Um, but, yeah, we had locations like Wollongong, Thoreau, northern beaches like or like you know gordon and then out to kangaroo valley and then in in the inner west so it's just the describing my childhood (laughs) yeah there we go that like huge triangle um yeah so it was was just a lot of ground to cover i think it added a lot of authenticity to the film Mm. and that we were just sort of living that experience while we were doing it was was really cool but yeah we shot all in one block in one go and then we had to add a few days because it rained um but other than that, yeah, it was all in one go.
1: And how did you go, like, approaching locations? Is that just asking a whole bunch of people and being like, please? Yeah. Did you have to undersell it or...?
0: I think it helped that we were still students mm. and we were like, mm, we're doing a student film and, mm. like, we had all the volunteer sort of – or whatever agreements after sort of gave us um, and we didn't, we didn't pay anyone. Mm. And I used my house, uh, Luca used his house, you know, we all used our own – as much of our own sort of things that we could – but <laughs> there were things, like, that we didn't really have control over. Like, Kane's character works at this, like, we made up these shirts that said, like, McCluskey's Ca- Mart or yeah. something. and It has, like, a four-leaf clover. But then the location, because it was meant to be just, like, an IGA or a supermarket. Mm-hmm. But then the location we ended up getting was, <laughs> was like, Lebanese deli, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like he's. It doesn't really make sense why it would be called like McCluskey's Mart, yeah, yeah. anyway. Things like that. Just
1: an Irish man who loves I guess uh, who loves like <laughs> shawarma, Dom <artists>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um. So what? Like, what's some of the biggest things you feel like you learned during that shooting process?
0: Mm, oh my god. Um. It's just so important that you have a good team around you, and I was just so lucky that. My relationship with Luca is like he's my best mate and my brother and I mm. love him so much and he and I respected his opinion but he also respects mine and that that is just such a conversation and there's no real egos from anyone on set like even the actors so it was never a negotiation of um egos and emotion in that way it was just a group effort what's going to service the story the best exactly exactly and people were willing and understanding of that we had no money and and the more i think about it the more i'm like oh my god they like trusted me to do this like i had no i wouldn't trust me (laughs) (laughs) actually i know exactly and it was so funny like dealing with your own imposter syndrome on your own film being Mm -hmm. like shit (laughs) <laughs> like who put me in charge? And, and then think, you're
1: like, we've got two scenes to shoot until today's yeah, over, so no time for that. Exactly,
0: yeah. no time for like self-indulgence. But it also was just such a like joyous experience. Like mm. we were just doing what we love and it was the best. Mm. Like so fun. Oh my God, so fun. Cause yeah, we were just making a movie mm. and like just really I think it's at that point where you don't know whether it's good or bad and you don't really care because you're like, just, you're just doing it. Mm. Um, and then when the reality comes in and the edit, you know, you're like, oh God, like, have we done the right thing? <laughs> yeah. Blah, blah, blah. But when you're on set, I love it. You're being in this like set. amazing flow yeah. state. Yeah. Completely, yeah. completely. And the actors are so good and they're so receptive to, you know, I didn't really need to give them any performance notes, really. My main note was just like, take longer, like, just just breathe through it and, Mm. you know, sit in the moment and don't be afraid to, you know, just draw it out.
1: You're like, if I don't like it, I'll cut it out, but just give it some breath. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: That was my major thing. I found what weirdly helped me, I think it was more of a crutch than an actual thing, was like that book that I was carrying around that had the script in it. And Mm. just like holding that was like a kind of anchor of like, okay, like I have some reference point that I can sort of walk around and cling to and refer to. Um, but you I inevitably don't lost. really
1: need it all Yeah, that
0: much. it is just like a crutch. I found like it was. Yeah, there <laughs> you go. You're. I'm putting to my book. questions on my on the desk. Yeah, but it does help because yeah. you're like, oh, I wrote these notes when I was in a clear frame of mind, and now I'm super tired and super hot and da da da. So it you helps can like trust that. your notes exactly if you like. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. I feel like great cinematographers are kind of what we were talking about before. Like, have all the technology and mm-hmm. all that kind of. Um, you know, love for light and everything, but mm. the really good ones are there to facilitate. Yeah. Whereas I think sometimes, like, you know, if they've a more experienced cinematographer and they've come mm. through TV and commercials yeah. and stuff, it is Different not mindset. all of them, but some can be prescriptive about, like, yeah. well, it's got to be two or three cameras and you need another one for this. But, yeah. you know, it's
0: totally the great
1: ones will get on board with the director's vision. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And I find like I, you know, have horror stories from friends where it is this real clash between a cinematographer and a director because the cinematographer is more experienced like that's the tricky thing and
1: they they've done a hundred shows or whatever yeah and they're kind of doing you a favor but they kind of totally no
0: No, completely and i've i've been lucky that i haven't ever been Mm. in that experience like i have mostly just worked with luca um which has probably spoiled me a little bit and i i don't know how i'd you know navigate that i guess i'd you know, chat to them beforehand Mm. or whatever. But I think it's easy as a director in that scenario to feel like, oh shit, I don't actually know what I'm doing Mm. and I'll defer to your thing. But it is, at the end of the day, like your your job is to tell the best story Mm. and you know how to do it. And I think it is so easy when you're in that high pressure scenario to lose, to sort of appease and be like, oh, okay, well, we'll just defer to your judgment. But... Yeah, I think I it's think like what they say about it falls down.
1: Yeah, it's like what they say about acting. It's like so much of the directing is like in the casting oh, w- yes. of the thing. And I, I think yeah. it's the same with the crew. You're like, Definitely. you want to make sure you have a vibe before yeah. you go set to, out like, on this journey. Yeah,
0: cast your crew like you cast your actors mm. for sure. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And especially like even your editor, you know, like you're going to be sitting there with this, you know, person for ages. And you gotta be able to have a laugh and have a good time yeah, yeah. and, like, you know, lol at all the things that you fucked up or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's fun and it shouldn't be like a big chore unless you've really made a terrible film and then you're like, oh God, we're all gonna quit.
1: <laughs> what made you, like, get an editor instead of, like, doing it your, yourself?
0: Oh my God, exhaustion. Mm. And also, yeah, just sort of, well, so Sophie and Adam were our editors. And so Sophie was our producer, Adam. Just edited and they sort of split up the film. I think Adam did a bit more than so. And then I did all the montages, mostly because I was like, we shot so much. So I'm not going to give this to someone else. Like, that's just rude. Mm. Um, so I combed through all the footage and got all the montages going. But yeah, it was just. Um,
1: Sometimes it's good, like, I think particularly for like the early cut to have someone mm-hmm. who's a bit more objective. Yes. Because, like, yep. if you dive straight into it, oh my God. it can be like I facing, can't even imagine. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that was interesting as well because obviously this was the biggest project we'd done at that point. We started. We were like, how we approached the edit. We were like, well, are we going to do it chronologically, or how we how are we going to do this? So we started with our favourite scene, um, just so we could sort of see what we love about the film, and then go to go back and do all the other ones. Which was a really interesting way into it, which I kind of like because it was like you need to give yourself little presents, yeah, totally, a <laughs> little like markers, like it's like a little carrot on yeah. a stick to keep you going. So our first scene that we edited was when Alice um, goes into the like forest and has dinner with that family, because mm. um, that was a real emotional. Like that's one of my favorite scenes, I think, Mm -hmm. and in the film, and very visually stunning as well. Yeah, thank you. We had literally two lights. (laughs) so dark. There's some.
1: There's some candles. Yeah, there's some candles. There's
0: some like shit going on. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, yeah, and sort of making it as easy for yourself because we also had full time study, our additional jobs. I had like two internships. Like it was. I'm getting anxiety. Just oh, my God, actually, and that's why I'm 80 million years old now. I've lost my youth to this film. That was my, like, payment. You're like that lady
1: in Game of Thrones Actually, she takes her necklace off and she's like an old witch.
0: You know? I'm an old witch, wow. yeah.
1: Great to have you on the podcast. i oh, um, happy to be here. And so, like, how do you think the, the film changed, like, during the edit? Like, were there mm. little moments you were like, wow, I didn't see that in the viewfinder on the day, yeah. but, like, that totally Works with that or...
0: Funny you say that because we were just using the camera viewfinder thing. Oh, now I do have anxiety. Yeah, <laughs> actually. So I'm surprised we got anything yeah. that we could actually have a look at. Um, <laughs> you didn't
1: have like a little <laughs> no, had, monitor? No, we had
0: nothing. Yeah. We had absolutely nothing. So, And it was so glary most of the time that like Luke and I would look at the, ca- the monitor and we're like, mm. and I, hope, I hope it's on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that's how like low, mm. low budget we were. Yes, I don't know. Yeah, I think it was the main thing in the edit. Whenever you see the first edit, it's mm-hmm. horrific and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, fuck, I'm going to just move back to Brisbane and give up. Um, that girl was right. <laughs> yes, yes, the was right. Um, yeah, but I think it's for this film in particular, it was about teasing out those moments and filling in those sorts of cutaways of suburbia and making it more about tone and mood as opposed to moving the plot along because it isn't, it isn't very plot focused so I think once we realized that it was about character and about these sort of moments of um, private moments and where the audience is just with the character sort of intuiting something from their performance or something in the room or whatever it was teasing out those moments and making them play against each other and yeah and it took us quite a while and we got to a point where we thought we'd finished and then we and you're so exhausted that you're like, for love of Christ, like let this be the end. You but like then convince you, yourself. You're yes. Finished, yeah. You're like, it's good, right? Yeah. And then we showed it to our friends. And thank God we had like this sort of test screening, mm. quote unquote, with just like our friends, like no one, you know, mm. like obviously they're important, but. I find um, that so
1: much, like you just screen it, like yeah. even with corporate work or whatever or like yeah just work work you show one person and then you like smash the space bar like five minutes in and you're like I know what I need to change yeah. I, don't, I don't even need Thanks. any notes yeah, yeah. like <laughs> you, you can don't leave even, now yeah. yeah it's like they don't mm. even have to tell you what it is totally. you just get a vibe for yeah. it.
0: yeah totally yeah and it was yeah and it was things like that which really like reveal things that you didn't even know or mm. you were just intuiting but you couldn't really articulate and having that sort of outside of you is so important and mm. then from there we went back and trimmed a lot of the montages and got rid of like the second scene and one of the last scenes and reordered a few things. But mostly what has ended up in the final Mm. thing is what we have in the script and what we shot and everything.
1: You really have to like guard yourself as well when you like show people like Mm -hmm. as well because some people will be like... Well, it would be good if it was like more of a thriller and you're like, yeah. well, that's not the movie we made. Yes. So, you know. <laughs> totally. So yeah, you've kind of sure. got to like show people that are collaborators yes, and kind of yeah. are on the same wavelength.
0: Yeah, well, that was what was so good about because we just showed it really to our friends at afters, and I think they were really familiar with like my work and sort of what we were going for. But, yeah, that is such a good point of like you need to be like, okay, guys, like we know this isn't like the Bourne trilogy. <laughs> So like chill out, yeah. don't expect that. Yeah. But is it is it achieving what you think we're trying to do, mm. you know?
1: I love it when people do those edits though for like Mrs. Doubtfire yes, and they make well. it like a horror movie or something.
0: People have way too much time yeah. on their hands. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. But they're fun. They're There's fun some talented much. editors yeah, out there. Yeah, I know, well done.
1: So you got, uh, you've like finished a film and mm. then you – Start submitting it to film festivals, and yes. got into Sydney Film Festival, which is pretty amazing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, it's just such a long journey because it's like we submitted to so many fucking film festivals, so many, mm-hmm. um, like bloody Sundance and South by, and got so many rejections, like like forty rejections. Probably, and it's a long time as well. It's I a think long that's long time because
1: there's like film festivals all throughout the year. Mm. So you can do like your A tier and then your B mm. tier. and your, Totally. So that can be mm. years in and of so itself. We,
0: yeah, exactly. So we kind of locked off everything in like July last year mm-hmm. and then we started submitting from then on and Sydney Film Festival only just happened. So it's like, you know, that's like a year of submitting and we got CineQuest in like March, but there's a couple of months and as soon as you get those like rejections coming in, you're like, oh shit. And I just felt such a weight of responsibility to the actors, mm. to everyone who'd given so much time and talent that it's like, oh, if this doesn't work, like, you know, like I was really hard on myself of like really grinding away to try and make that it worth it. Yeah. And luckily it has. But, but then But Sydney again, Film like,
1: Festival's so good because it's like exactly. a Sydney film as well. Yeah. Like New South Wales film. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. But it was great, like I think using that time... What was really beneficial, I think, and what probably helped us get into Sydney Film Festival was we did a few industry screenings, so like private screenings, mm. um, but we showed, you know, people that we invited from the industry and got their feedback as well, um, which was really helpful and sort of helped open a few doors and stuff. Um,
1: yeah, because you're in like IF magazine and yeah, I've gotten a yeah. bit of press coverage as well, yeah, which is Yeah, awesome. which has been yeah. so
0: great. I think Kazei is just like a good you know, marketing thing of, like, yeah, it's a $4,000 movie and la-la-la, mm. which is obviously true. But I think that was such a learning lesson as well of, like, you finally lock off the edit and you lock off the color grade and, you know, you think you're done.
1: And then it just There's begins, this but... whole
0: thing. And because, like, I was the lead producer at that point and so it was, like, it was my job. And I was like, oh, fuck, really? <laughs> like, it's, it's
1: that thing as well where you're, like, you look back on it and you're, like, like I remember... Tarantino when he finished Kill Bill he was yeah. like he's like well now I know how to make a kung fu movie mm. I can go back and do it all over again yeah. so you feel like you've grown from oh yeah. so much but then you look at some scenes and you're like that oh was God. early work or that was Actually, a mistake or whatever but then so you're funny. having to like mm. you're having to put yourself out there yeah. with stuff you feel like you may have grown out of completely from so
0: yeah it is funny like I was kind of saying after the Sydney Film Festival screening like weird like I I love our film I'm so Mm. proud of it I but it feels like an old photo of ourselves in a kind of weird way Mm. of like yeah that's that's the best we could do at that point in time and we've gotten so much better I think but I'm still really fond of it and really proud of it. Mm. And I think we did do, we were able to kind of pull off what we wanted to do. And I think it's always like looking at it in those terms of like what were you trying to achieve and did you achieve it? Yeah. So it's there's obviously no point comparing it to other things that have more money or, you know, blah, blah blah blah, it. more yeah, time, yeah. anything. Like each project is so specific. And if you can and I'm telling this to myself because I'm so hard on myself as well, of like, you know, being a bit more kind and realistic about yeah. what you're trying to do and and nothing will ever be perfect. You'll never have enough time. You'll never have enough money. So it's kind of, yeah, making the best work possible. And, mm. and also, did it give you joy? Like, was it fun? Was it like, did you learn from it? All those kind of different you markers know, for success exactly not just yeah financial or whatever yeah exactly yeah. exactly yeah. like i'm not gonna make any fucking movie uh, money off this movie like as if like and uh, you know there's no real pressure to because we made it for such little money but it's more about what it has given us in terms of our like craft and Mm. like experience and industry sort of access or whatever and what we can do with the next one and the next one Mm. yeah and like confidence as well that was such a big Mm. thing and especially with Sydney being able to show it and be really proud of it and stand behind it and be like Mm. yeah we made this film and you know it's not bad Mm. yeah yeah (laughs)
1: like do you think there's like a thing about uh like kind of queer stories Mm. that are kind of it's almost like growing up like um, dean francis who directed this movie called drown was on the podcast and he Mm. was talking about his experience watching a lot of like gay or queer Mm. cinema was it was about homophobia and abuse and Mm. and that sort of stuff and we've also seen those stories of like you know someone coming out to their family or whatever and and what that means but do you think there's kind of like new themes that you're noticing? in queer gay cinema that's mm. kind of interesting or like like, do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah I think we again like when we were plotting it out with B and sort of talking about what we wanted to see and what we didn't want to see I think stories of violence and sort of discrimination based on your sexuality, sexuality yeah. was something we didn't want to do. And there's obviously definitely a place for that and a place for those stories, but we just didn't want to see someone getting, getting beaten up or anything like that because they're gay in this story. Mm-hmm. So I think it was more about, really, I think the crux of it, like obviously she's coming into her own sexuality, but it's more about saying goodbye to her friend and because her friend she realises that she is, like, in love with her. So that's innately tied to her sexuality. So that's kind of the central problem for that mm. character, I think. Like, both coming into her own identity but then also saying goodbye to someone who's been such an important part of mm. her life.
1: And the whole, like, unrequited love. Yeah, the whole well.
0: unrequited love. And that's, you know, very personal for me and be sort of being in love with a straight person or whatever. Um, and that's something we hadn't seen that much before. So I think it was kind of looking at what space we could... Um, go into in terms of a queer story but I think yeah it was interesting like I think why we had four characters again is like because we could explore all these different things and we didn't want to because I think because there aren't that many queer stories or many you know you know (laughs) Stories of, you know, people of color at this point in time and there's more and more platforms and more and more stories being told. But like when, you know, Black Panther comes out, everyone puts this like onus on it to mm. be to speak for everything and everyone. So but what we wanted to do was just speak to a particular experience. So like mm. not
1: like an issues film. Yeah, it's not yeah. an
0: issues film. We definitely weren't pushing any kind of agenda. We just wanted to make it feel really authentic and lived in and Resonant with our experiences and the experiences of our friends, so working from that kind of personal lived space and hope, hoping that it resonated with people. But yeah, we didn't really think too like theoretically or politically about mm. it apart from knowing what we didn't want to do. Yeah,
1: Julie Calsef, who was also on this podcast, um, she did this web series called Starting From Now, mm. um, but she's now got a she's now done this series about a trans girl starting a first day of high school right um but one of the things like I think she was kind of important to her is that like it is a little bit soapy and it is like kind of normal and it's not heavy-handed here's my agenda it's kind of like this and I think anyone that would watch that series feels like it's like well how can I Mm. disagree with this experience you know I think so much stuff becomes like the super political mm. but when people take each other on individual Yeah basis it's so much like it's how can you not empathise with that and I think yeah. that's one of the great things about cinema film and cinema yeah. bringing it all back around you yeah. know Exactly so, No it is exactly
0: mm. and being able to sort of tell those experiences and be like look I'm exactly the same as you I just you know have sex with someone different so
1: <laughs> All the same
0: All the same yeah. yeah
1: Well Imogen thanks so much for doing the podcast Is Thank there you. anything you want to plug or say or Oh um, want to go over uh so where, where can people watch my, the
0: film? oh no way yet i'm sorry um hopefully we'll be putting it up online soon but follow us on facebook and instagram and i think we have a twitter too and it's all suburban wildlife film or some variation of that and um and
1: you're going overseas soon right oh
0: yes yeah, so this friday actually Um, I'm leaving for London to go to the London Australian Film Festival where they're closing night film for them, um, which is very exciting and they're very generously flying me over to London, which is nuts. Uh, But I'm very poor and I don't know how I'm going to Just keep
1: making films and uh, you'll get free flights to London. I I know. I think I'll
0: just hang out in like a rich suburb of London and be like, Oi, governor, (laughs) want to give us some bob?
1: Shine your shoes. Yeah, Yeah.
0: exactly. Um, And then also while I'm over there, I'm going to Tamina Film Festival in Sicily <laughs> what is my life and going to show our film there as well so awesome. very exciting there'll be some fun euro pics if you follow <laughs> us on Instagram so if you want some yeah. e, pray love content then love it follow for the film stay like for and subscribe the yeah exactly yeah. Yeah.
1: awesome mm. well thanks so much thank you that's it yep yeah, great thanks Imogen. <laughs> thank you That was the very talented writer and director Imogen McCluskey. You can check our upcoming screenings and more info about the film at suburbanwildlife.com. And as always, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcasting app. And if you'd like to show us some love, why not leave a rating and review while you're there? Thanks for listening and I'll catch you in the next episode.